My name is Samantha Lewis, and I'm excited to introduce you to our podcast host today. As always, we have Barry Render, author of the number one operations management title on the market. Joining him today is John Jackson, Associate Professor of Supply Chain Management at Providence College. On today's podcast, they'll be speaking about the electric vehicle battery supply chain. Thanks, Samantha, and thanks, John, for joining us. You know, John, it seems like we can't go a day without reading a headline regarding electric vehicles and their batteries, how they're going to change driving, how to create new global supply chains, where will the minerals that are needed come from, what happens when a battery reaches its end of life. Um, so I thought I would ask you a bunch of questions about that and see what you think. You're, you keep up with this concept. So for those who are less familiar, John, how can you give sort of a quick high-level overview of the supply chain for electric vehicle batteries? Absolutely, and thanks for having me on today. Uh, so as we talk about the supply chain, I'll think about take it from two perspectives, the structure of the supply chain and then a little bit about where it's happening around the globe. In terms of the structure, the Rocky Mountain Institute breaks the supply chain for electric vehicle batteries down into four key areas, upstream, midstream, downstream, and then end of life. When they talk about upstream, they're talking about the, the minerals that you mentioned, the mining of those raw materials, things like lithium and nickel and cobalt and manganese. Those raw materials after they're mined are then shipped to the midstream portion of the supply chain. And this is where processors and refiners purify those raw materials and ultimately use them to create the cathodes and anodes that go into the battery cells. Those battery cells are then shipped further in the supply chain to the downstream component. And this is where the battery manufacturers take hundreds or even thousands of those battery cells and put those into a single electric vehicle car battery. And once they are built into the battery, they're sold to car manufacturers and ultimately end up in the electric vehicles we see on the road today. That's the sort of traditional supply chain that we think about. But there's a major component of that, which is the fourth element, which is that end of life piece where we're thinking about reverse logistics and thinking about the infrastructure needed to handle, recycle properly, you know, repurpose those battery batteries once they have hit the end of their life as an electric vehicle battery. So that's a little on the structure side, a little bit about sort of where this is happening. Currently, the EV battery supply chain is truly global. It spans multiple continents and much of the mining of raw materials and the production is happening outside of the US. A good chunk of that production is currently happening in China. And what we see with this you know, global supply chain is that adds both complexity and it adds risk. We're talking about just managing a supply chain that spans multiple continents. There's inherent logistical risk a part of that, but we also have geopolitical risks that we might have to deal with uh, given some of the international relation tensions that we've been seeing in the news recently. Well, you know, it's interesting you say that about China because I've been reading that about 60% of the processing, which I guess you call midstream, takes place in China. So even the mining, which is uh, done in Australia and some of the other countries, the Congo, it still goes to China to be processed into the materials that actually go into the battery. Is that true? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, why is it so important to repurpose or recycle uh, the batteries when they come to their end of life? 
Yeah, let's think about that from two different perspectives. One on well, what happens if we don't recycle them? And if we don't recycle them, unfortunately, they're going to end up in landfills. Hmm. And as they de start to decompose in a landfill, there are potential hazards that we might face. When you think about the battery, the exterior of the battery is projected to decompose in about 100 years. Unfortunately, some of the, the heavy metals, the lithium, the cobalt, the manganese inside may never decompose. And as the exterior uh, decomposes, it you know, and exposes those heavy metals to the environment and could cause potential fires. It could cause uh, some of those chemicals to be released into the soils, which could impact water supplies. It could impact local ecosystems. So as much as possible, we don't want these batteries to end up in landfills. To take that a step further, we really don't want them there because there are applications to continue using these batteries after they're done in your electric vehicle. When you think about your traditional consumer electronics, your AA, your AAA batteries, uh, they generally, when they be, are dead, they no longer work in your TV remote, generally they end up in the trash because there's not a great use for them once they're dead and there's not a lot of value in repurposing them. These electric vehicle batteries are quite different. They're much more powerful, they're much more complex and have value after they're done in your electric vehicle. So if you've had your electric vehicle, you've had a battery for 10, 15, 20 years, it goes through a fairly intense process in your car. You know, generally we're driving our cars every day, so we drain the battery, we charge it at night, and we keep you know, repeating that process over and over. So it's a very high demand on the battery. And eventually that charge won't hold as long and we'll need to replace the battery. But that doesn't mean the battery's worthless. And what we're seeing is there's actually a lot of uh, alternative applications once it's done being used in a vehicle. And one of the most popular ones is as backup power. So backup power for your house, for a business, for a hospital, whatever that might be. And so we have these second life or third life applications, and we should try to leverage those as much as possible. And by doing that, we create this idea of a circular economy where we're extending the life cycle of the product of these batteries, and that reduces the amount of waste that we have, the amount of materials going to landfill, and ultimately is going to be better for the environment in the long run. Well, that's a critical thing because those batteries do have a certain life and, and they're very dangerous if we don't recycle them. What's the current status of battery recycling in, in the US? I mean, what are the current challenges to doing that? It's not simple, is it? It's not simple and sadly the US and, and really the globe is not in a great spot currently. There was a 2022 study that uh, estimated that only 5% of batteries were being recycled. And so that was just over a year ago. And you know, so we're, we have a lot of room for improvement. So that's a good thing. Uh, but in terms of challenges, there are kind of three key things that I see uh, on the challenge front. The biggest one is probably infrastructure. The, when we think about the end of life of a battery, there's a whole supply chain that's necessary to take that out of your electric vehicle and get it uh, transported to the appropriate facility. That facility has to exist. It has to have the technology and the um, sort of workers necessary to extract the valuable materials out of it, to reprocess it, to get it shipped out to that next application. So we need a much more developed infrastructure to make that happen. We also have a cost or a financial component as well. Currently, it is more expensive to recycle and repurpose a battery than it is to uh, create a new one. Now, and the hope would be as we sort of leverage economies of scale, that would not be the case. 
But if it's cheaper to make a new one, businesses don't have the same incentive, the manufacturers don't have the same incentive to try and make recycling and repurposing work. And what we're likely going to need is we're going to need some policies put in place that somewhat standardize or force the practice of recycling at a certain rate. Um, so that's a second concern. And then the third one is just total volume. Right now, there's estimated to be somewhere in the two to four million electric vehicles on the road in the US. Even less of those have batteries that are near the end of their life. And so we're just at a point now where we don't have a huge volume of batteries coming through the end of life to make it advantageous to leverage economies of scale to make that happen. Now, the plus side is they're estimating by 2030, there'll be over 40 million electric vehicles on the road. So this huge exponential curve where we're going to see growth in the number of electric vehicles and therefore the number of batteries. So there's going to be volume to make this feasible down the road, but we're just not quite there yet. The plus side is that we have a huge amount of investment um, in there's been over a billion dollars of investment in redwood materials and Ascend Elements. These are two startups out of the US that focus on battery recycling. So there's investment, there's interest in this process, but it's still fairly early on. Um, and that's kind of maintains as one of the key challenges. That's a big concern. I, you know, I'm not sure we've even mastered the recycling of current batteries that are found in cars. You know, there's a, a fee that you pay when you take your battery out and AAA puts a new one in or Delco puts a new one in. And in too high a percentage of the cases, those batteries are sent off to Mexico to be dismantled manually, which is a very dangerous procedure. So we've never really completely um, uh, developed procedures that are in manda mandated for dealing with the current batteries. So I can imagine how much more complicated, John, it's going to be with the electric vehicle batteries. And, you know, we, we've seen these laws that in 2035, I think the EU and some of the U.S. states have uh, have ban are planning on banning the sale of gas-powered vehicles. So is there anything else you suggest that could be done to handle this issue? It, it, as you said, it's a, it's a complicated process. It's a complicated issue. There's a lot going on. And you know, as we think back through some of the things we've talked about, it's not a, a one sort of, this is the, the only thing we've got to do. It's a multifaceted approach that we're going to have to take. Starting with just the original supply chain, we cannot have a sort of unstable supply chain. We need a very stable and reliable supply chain because we're going to become dependent on these electric vehicle batteries. We can't afford to have disruptions. So we're going to need to have a robust traditional supply chain. We're going to need to build out infrastructure to have a effective and uh, especially from a cost perspective, a way to handle batteries at the end of life and continue to repurpose them and make them usable for a second or a third life application. And we're going to need to continue to research and develop what we can do with these batteries to extend their life. So we have backup power is a great option after they're done as an electric vehicle. Well, let's see what else we can develop and how we can continue to use those materials to ultimately lessen the amount of mining that we'll have to do of lithium and other key elements moving forward. Um, and then there's going to be the policy element as well. You mentioned the EU and the US banning gas powered, so that's going to help promote electric vehicles, but we're going to need to also have policies in place that help promote recycling and repurposing. That way we don't end up with a bunch of batteries ending up in landfills because we just don't know how to deal with it. We need to sort of put pressure on that way companies, these manufacturers put the money in to figure out the best way to handle these 
and ultimately make this EV revolution something that's going to be better for the environment in the long run against what we've seen historically with gas-powered vehicles. John, that's a fascinating, excellent explanation you've given us. Uh, I really appreciate it. I got one more question for you before we close out, and that deals with the concept of hybrid cars that use electric uh, and and small gas-powered motors. Um, the, the chairman of Toyota got in a little bit of trouble, I think it's a month or two ago, when he made a statement publicly that said that um, he didn't think that they should eliminate all uh, gas-powered. He believes in hybrids and made a statement, I think, to the effect that one hybrid that Toyota puts out uses about the same amount of rare earths and minerals as um, uh, 90 Teslas. So one, te one Tesla could supply 90 hybrids instead with the rare earths. Uh, and he was really lambasted for that. Um, what do you feel about that? It's kind of a political question. I don't know if you have an answer. What do you feel about the future of going all electric as opposed to maybe keeping um, hybrids as a popular option in 10 or 15 or 20 years? Yeah, it's a really fascinating question. And and seeing the, the ratio there, right? One Tesla to 90 uh, hybrids is kind of crazy to think about. And I think what a lot of people and why you know the the press uh got after the toyota chairman is this idea that it almost feels like we're taking a step backward we're trying to get to all electric we're trying to get rid of gas but that's not the only thing that's affecting the environment when we talk about these battery supply chains the mining is incredibly uh dangerous and challenging the amount of miles that these materials are being shipped around the globe is significant and too often we're focused just purely on getting rid of gas, where there's other things that we may need to balance over time. And as we talked about earlier, the infrastructure is not there to just 100% switch from gas to electric. And what hybrids can likely do is hold kind of a, a stopgap, if you will, while we make this transition until that infrastructure is 100% in place. And so I don't know that, uh, he was wrong. I think he's just saying the thing that no one else wants to admit that we're not going to be able to flip a switch and go 100%. And so if we have in 15 years, we have a mix of hybrids and electrics and no gas, that's probably more feasible and maybe a better solution short term than just trying to switch everybody to electric, where in some applications, the infrastructure and the technology may not be there uh, to the level we need. John, thanks so much for sharing all of your insights with us today and your expertise. I think it was a fascinating conversation. I really appreciate your time, and I hope our, our readers get a lot out of it. It's a very important topic. So thanks again for joining us. Thank you. Thank you.